0: I don't know if I have any advice. I know that I knew that I was an alcoholic. We, we did the steps, you know, in treatment, we wrote out everything, and, and based on what I saw in my own behaviors, those few times that I did try to control it when I was drinking, I, could, I really couldn't, I couldn't. As soon as I had one, it was like, all right, next time I'm gonna be okay, but this time I'm just gonna party and have a good time. <laughs> I don't know if there's any advice I can give anyone except to hang in there and listen and do what you can to do the steps. Because I know so many people at that age are like, it was just a phase, they were, they were just like I was. I don't know why I got it, I just feel really grateful and I have no, no words of wisdom other than the times that I wanted to drink while I was sober. I just made sure I got on the phone with someone and talked it out.
1: Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast with your hosts, Michael L and Lee M. This is a show where we strive to provide inspiration through interviews with members of the recovery community. We are not aligned with any 12-step program, but you may hear them mentioned throughout the course of an interview. Today on the show, Evola. She's from Louisville, Kentucky and she's got quite a bit of sobriety, although she admits that she's still gaining perspective. She shares with us today for February 11th on the limits of self-reliance. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Lee, It's great to have you back on the show. How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing great. Great to be back.
1: Terrific. And it's uh, February 11th. We have a guest today. Let's bring Evola in. Evola R. from Louisville, Kentucky. It's great to have you on the show.
0: Thank you. It's great to be here.
1: So today is February 11th, as we said, and we always get started by reading the Daily Reflection for today. Would you help us out and read that for us?
0: Yes. February 11th. The Limits of Self-Reliance. We asked ourselves why we had them, fears. It wasn't, wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? That's from Alcoholics Anonymous on page 68. All of my character defects separate me from God's will. When I ignore my association with him, I face the world and my alcoholism alone and must depend on self-reliance. I have never found security and happiness through self-will, and the only result is a life of fear and discontent. God provides the path back to him and to his gifts of serenity and comfort. First, however, I must be willing to acknowledge my fears and understand their source and power over me. I frequently ask God to help me understand how I separate myself from him.
1: Wow, this one mentions God quite a bit. Like like many of the Daily Reflections, it mentions God quite a bit. Um, I'm curious, um, about your conception of a higher power.
0: Well, um, when I initially went on the list to, uh, sign up for one of these podcasts, I tried to find one with the least amount of God in it, (laughs) 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 but I didn't want to go too far. And so, um, you know, I have, I, I have been sober for a long time. Um, and I have struggled and gone through different beliefs, and love-hate relationships with God, and I just have come to this, um, in the seven step, the seven step prayer starts off with my creator, and that's what I like to think of as higher power, and in my mind, I picture an eagle soaring above, sort of a Native American thing. I'm not Native American, but um, I just have such a hard time with the masculine religious-based thing. And when I hear the word God and the semantics that go along with it, that's what I think. So when I can thank my creator, even when I say the third step prayer, I throw my creator in just because I'm much more comfortable that way.
2: I love that. I'm wondering, how long did it take you to get to that Native American concept of higher power for yourself?
0: Well, (laughs) Okay, here we go uh when i got i was i was married to someone in the military we lived in Germany and I got a master's degree and I took an um ethnicity course and so I picked Native American and I did a lot of research on it and I was sober at the time and uh that kind of turned me on to it but Recently, I've been watching this Netflix show called Longmire and and it's very, uh, the, all the Native American stuff is so spiritual. I'm like, oh man, I just need to get back to that. So um I've had several moves being in the military and we've gotten rid of a lot of stuff. So all of my Native American books are gone, but I just... I love the flow and the in touch with nature. I lived in the uh, Washington DC area for about 20 years and they had this beautiful museum down there and I'd walk into the native American museum. and I just felt the sense of peace when I went in because everything was symbolism and had, it was connected with nature. Not so much. You need to do what I say, but a natural way.
2: I love that. um, You know, the, what does Bill Wilson say that it's it's roomy and all inclusive, and we get to find the higher power that we're that, that we're attracted to, and and to be ha- to be able to have the opportunity to try different things until something lands is one of the things that I find so special about the program,
1: and and that it evolves, right? Yeah, that's powerful. So tell me about uh, the limits of self reliance. What does self reliance mean to you?
0: So I am a strong believer in self-reliance and it has gotten me in so much trouble, <laughs> that belief. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I was just talking to my sponsor today because um, I had this breakup over the summer and uh, I guess it was about six months ago and I have been struggling and struggling with higher power right now and, and a lot of other things. And um, so we're, there's a, a, uh A format, a big book awakenings format, which is like a workbook to go through the 12 steps through the big book. And so I've been doing that, but with not so much alcoholism and drugs, but uh, addiction to people and relationships and love. And it has really been awful (laughs) because I just want to, doing all the writing, I've really realized how much I try to control outcomes and Uh, I will connive. I mean, I've been sober 37 years and I still want to connive and control and manipulate because I believe that this is the right way to get to the right results. And when I can let go, as this talks about, when I can uh, focus on letting go of my end result and focus on being part of the process and being in the present and accepting what's coming in the moment, my life just goes so much better. It just goes so much better. And I'm able to accept things that when I'm trying to control, I can't accept and I fight and I struggle and I'm miserable and there's tears and there's meds and there's therapy and there's everything else involved because I'm fighting what is happening. Just like, you know, when you think about a leaf going down a Creek, if it just goes with the flow and ends up where it's supposed to go. And if I can just be a leaf it's just a lot smoother, even though there's little bumps and boulders and other things I have to go around. If I can just go with the flow, my life is just so much easier.
2: So how has the, how has the program helped specifically with that? How, how do the 12 steps
0: help you with that? So in, when I was new, um, I was really, um, into the social part of recovery, so I wasn't really into the step part of recovery. And I was young; I was eighteen when I got sober, and we all uh, socialized and did stuff together, and and it was awesome. And it got me to a point where I believed sobriety could be fun, <laughs> because when I was that young, I thought it's just a bunch of old people sitting around drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes, and uh, that wasn't what I wanted. And I had TV ideas of what alcoholism was, and when I started getting with sponsors. Who worked the steps with me um, I was able to apply them to my life and so not just with the drugs and alcohol but with people with dealing with my mom um, one of the stories that I have about the steps the ninth step is my mom was a hoarder and growing up I lived almost like an alcoholic home you know we didn't have people over um, it was embarrassing to to have my friends come over their parents didn't want them coming to my house because there was just stuff everywhere. I mean, it was like what you see on those shows on TV. And so, even though she was now college, she was mentally ill. We didn't know it back then. So um, I-, I was just mean. She was also diabetic, and so I would get bossy and superior and self righteous. You know, if you just ate what you were supposed to, you wouldn't be in this situation. If you just did what what I told you, because I, the daughter, know everything. And it wasn't until uh, she went on dialysis. Um, and we had some conversations over the summer before she died that, I I was able to actually hear her. And that was really only because I had gotten together and done another four step to look at the relationship that I had with my mom and to be able to do a fifth step and then look at my character defects and my bossiness and my, my nastiness to her all of that stuff and and humbly ask God to remove those so every time I talked to her I would say a mini 7th step prayer so I could do that without being a, a bitch I mean I, I was horrible I really was horrible towards her my entire adult life and uh at one point so she decided to do that dialysis out of her house and there was a lot of systems she had to rig up cuz she was so physically weak and uh she said Avila, I just, I'm so lonely. And I said, mom, I am so sorry this is happening to you. Um, I wish there was something I can do. And she said, I'm so glad you didn't tell me that I did this to myself. I am so happy that you said that because most of my life, that's what I did. I would tell her what she was doing wrong. And I said, I'm so sorry for all those times, mom that I acted that way towards you. And it was such a gift. And we talk about those 9 step promises and I was free after that. I was free of any resentment I had towards her. I wish that I would have done it sooner, but you know, it happens when it happened and I was able to be at peace. And when she died, she died on Christmas Eve, 2011. And when she died, I was clear. I was clean and it was complete. And that was because of the steps.
2: That's a beautiful story, and I, I, one, of the, one of the beautiful things of AA are the reconciled relationships and the fact that we get to live free now mm-hmm. from, the, from the regret. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an awesome story, Evila. Thanks for sharing it. Thank you. So were, were you 18? How old were you when you got sober?
0: I was 18 when I got sober, and uh, my son actually will have nine years in February next month, and he also got sober when he was 18. So we have a very unique bond.
1: You know, so there's so many young people that struggle with alcoholism and um, it's so hard to believe that at that young of an age that you can be an alcoholic. I just experienced it this morning on a a meeting and what do you tell someone? I mean, having been through that and feeling so young and in, in trouble with addiction and alcoholism, What would you tell someone who's in the same, same position?
0: Well, I know for me, and as I mentioned, I'm going back through the big book again and looking at all the step one and step two information. And I, when I came in, really thought, I really, truly thought I could control it. I just didn't want to. I really thought that if I wanted to stop drinking, if I wanted to stop doing those things, I could and that was my belief from day 1 coming into treatment and then i had a spiritual awakening while i was in treatment um and i heard a voice when i was crying into my pillow feeling sorry for myself about a horrible group day and uh i said what is wrong you know why is this happening to me and i heard a voice say you are an alcoholic and i knew at that moment that i was so i don't know if i have any advice i know that I knew that I was an alcoholic. We we did the steps, you know, in treatment. We wrote out everything. And, and based on what I saw in my own behaviors, those few times that I did try to control it when I was drinking, I could, I really couldn't. I couldn't. As soon as I had one, it was like, all right, next time I'm going to be okay. But this time I'm just going to party and have a good time. <laughs> and, you know, black. I was a blackout drinker. I was a pass out drinker. Uh, and that was what I strove for. I thought that was how you had a good time. If you couldn't remember the night before, you must have had a good time. And uh, I don't know if there's any advice I can give anyone except to hang in there and listen and do what you can to do the steps. Because I know so many people at that age are like, it was just a phase. They were just like I was. I don't know why I got it. I just feel really grateful. And I have no no words of wisdom other than the times that I wanted to drink while I was sober. I just made sure I got on the phone with someone and talked it out. That, that was really the only thing that saved me and the grace of grace of a higher power.
1: Were there other people in your life that had gotten sober that maybe provided an example? or?
0: Well, here in Louisville, <laughs> which is where I got sober, uh, there was a huge group of young people and we would do everything together. We went bowling, we toilet papered each other's houses. That's what we thought you were in if you got your house toilet papered. So, <laughs> And um, so we did everything together and uh, I moved away when I got married. I was gone for 30 years and I came back and I still hang out with those people. Uh, my home group meeting is tonight. And I'm in charge of leading the Zoom meeting. I've been doing it for a year now, and thank God we turn it over tonight to the new person. But, um, but uh, there are there was a guy that I dated when I first got sober at that meeting, and he's still sober, um, going through this breakup. I, I called up one of my friends, and I'm like, "Hey, can I come over and hang out with you and your wife? Because I am really not in a good place right now." And he he has two weeks more than I do, and and there was. There's quite a few people in that room who have 36, 37, 38 years, and they're all in their 50s, and they all got so when they were 18-ish. Wow, that's amazing.
2: Yeah, I, I feel like I heard a lot of it, but how would you
0: describe reliance on God for you today? So uh, as I said, I've kind of vacillated in my spiritual life. So I'm, I'm back to getting on my knees every morning and saying the third and seven-step prayer kind of smooshed together as I'm comfortable with, but just when I can get my day started that way, um, I'm able to focus better on everything else I need to do, whether it's program wise or work wise, or, um, uh, uh Today is one of my days off, Tuesday and Monday are my weekends, so this is my Saturday, basically, and so I can go and get errands done. I've also, in the process of buying a house, not buying it, bought a house and finishing a house, stripped it down to studs, and we're almost done, so I plan on moving in sometime in this next month, and that's very stressful. So being able to have that focus and breathe take a deep breath whatever happens happens if the floor guys are still messed up I'm just gonna have to fire them and do something you know things that are grown up that I don't like doing praying helps a lot with that too so
1: beautiful what's your program look like today um, I, I'm interested in the stuff that you do with zoom and how you pick that up was that difficult
0: it wasn't um, my, my Outside life, I use Zoom a lot. And so when all of the COVID stuff went down, I already knew what I was doing. And i kind of trained a few other people to do it. And it's really, I love doing it. I love, I love that I have this skill that was a skill from before that I can use in recovery for service. I love it. Beautiful.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful. And, you know, I've experienced the same thing with my home group. We've transitioned to fully online now that we're in the pandemic. And uh, I started a course, uh, I guess about nine months ago where we run it every, I don't know, two times a month and we call that it's a new, new form of service, right? It's, it's not necessarily, it's not chairing a meeting. It's not, um, it's not hosting a meeting. It's, it's actually, we call it a Sherpa. You're, you're basically carrying the technical weight up a mountain to have, uh, an AA meeting. And we run those on our, our home group Zoom, um, the next one is February fifth. I've actually thought about posting that in the in the podcast. Oh, uh, that's awesome! And, yeah, that's kind awesome. of open it up.
0: Yeah. We um, I'm also in the process right now. Um, my home group in Virginia contacted me, and so we are presently doing a back to basics through Zoom, and uh, we have a tech person there, and she she opens the room, she gets it all started, and and it's just it's great because I get to see all my friends from Virginia, and, and it's just really nice, really nice, and we wouldn't if, if you know. I'm not grateful for COVID, but I'm grateful for the opportunities that COVID has placed in my way.
2: Are you from Unity Club? Yes, <laughs> I've been to the Back <laughs> to Basics wonderful program.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, what would you say to people who are just Zoom averse right now?
0: Oh, uh, I, I, I feel your pain <laughs> uh, because uh, we we do this in the rooms, and then I do this for my job, and uh, I, I feel your pain and all. I can say is, okay, this is where we are for now. That's what I tell myself. This is where we are for now. I will get to see people in person again. Um, but I know so many people who have relapsed and they've stopped going to meetings. And that, that was part of the, the breakup situation that I had. And it, it's painful to know that people that you love, whether it's friends or romantic interests or just people you've seen in meetings on a regular basis, can't do it and they go back out. And And it's really sad. So while I love uh, the opportunity Zoom gives us, uh, if you are struggling, if you hate getting on those meetings, try some new ones, try some new ones. I mean, there's a bazillion Zoom meetings out there now. I know people are going to meetings all over the world and um, yeah. It's great advice.
1: So how do you find the meetings?
0: Well, I actually am in a local Facebook group and two of the people in the group are circuit speakers. So they're always posting stuff for the meetings. And I know, I know in Virginia, there's also local AA, little local Facebook groups. And I know that they're also posting zoom invitations for other meetings as well. And I know in my group, there's service opportunities as well to be speakers on meetings. Hmm. That's great. So I think you can actually Google
2: probably AA, meetings on Zoom and get directed to the various state organizations, right? There's a meeting guide.
1: Yeah. Meeting guide app. Meeting That's guide app. On, on Apple and and Google.
2: Who designed that app? I don't
1: know. <laughs> oh, no. Josh R. from San Jose.
2: Oh, okay, cool. So the meeting Amazing. guide app. Um, so you go to the app store and look for that. That's excellent.
1: Yeah. So I want to go back to the to the daily reflection uh, briefly. Yes. And it talks about self-reliance and we kind of covered that, but it also talks about um, first, however, I must be willing to acknowledge my fears and Mm -hmm. understand their source Mm -hmm. and power over me. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like, um, do you feel like fears still have power over you today, even though you're sober and working a program?
0: Yes. Yes. Uh, Yeah. So part of my, I don't really have that many fears in recovery, but taking that outside of the rooms (laughs) and trying to have courage to be, my, my biggest fear is vulnerability. Getting vulnerable, letting you see me as I am, because what if you don't like me? And when I do a fear inventory, you know, And it takes it down to, okay, I'm scared of this. Well, what makes you scared of that? And then you just break it down. And ultimately, it goes to fear of not being lovable. Then that means I'm going to be in emotional pain and I could drink. But um, the fear of not being loved is huge for me. And so I can go to character defects over that fear, you know, people pleasing, um, getting angry, but not letting you know it. So then I have resentments, you know, because I can't talk like an adult would talk. (laughs) Someone with long-term recovery can talk. I just pout or cross my arms or roll my eyes, or these are how my character defects come out. And all of them are fear-based. All of them are fear-based.
1: This is one of the reasons I love the program. Um, it's, it's a design for living. <clears throat> it's a design for living that, that works. Like, you know, I feel bad for some people that live outside the program and whether or not they're struggling with addiction or alcoholism, they need a program. They need, they need this knowledge. So many people could benefit from just understanding that if you take a look at yourself, if you do that fearless and searching moral inventory and you're willing to look at those defects of character that we use on a daily basis as a survival mechanism, and then and then share those with another person, you know, you're, you're, the mode that you live in becomes apparent, and it's difficult to live that way, right?
0: Yes. Yes. Um, my um, youngest brother and I talk several times a week, and we were just talking today about allowing others to see our vulnerability because that's how we form the best relationships. Uh, he went through his own struggles with recovery and alcoholism. And he, he clearly knows about mine and we've been able to form this relationship where we share, we share what if we told someone else, we were scared that they would make fun of us about, <laughs> you know, we, we, cause we're both trying to date and do this online dating. And there's a lot of fear Of rejection wrapped up in that, and so I just get on the phone with my brother, and we talk about these fears that we have. And um, you know, in in the rooms, I'm actually a little nervous about going back into meetings because I've been safe through a screen for so long, seeing people in person. What if they don't like me? What if they think I'm weird? Even though these are people in recovery, I, I can have fears around that. So, you know, or just going to a new meeting where I don't know anyone, you know. What if they think I'm weird? Yeah, let me just stay quiet and sit in the back. What's so great about about what you're sharing is that you're you're
2: giving voice to things that I think we all feel. And after so many years in recovery, there's this sense of, you know, I shouldn't feel this way. But we all do. And it doesn't matter how long we've been in, in recovery or how short. Um, we just all feel that way. And it's just about working through it, turning it over to God, putting ourselves out there.
0: Yes. I can, I can really set um, some really stiff expectations on myself about what I should be doing in recovery because I'm sober for X amount of years and all of it. <laughs> so we, we talk about God in this reading. God helps me to remember that I am a newcomer at heart.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: My sponsor says we don't should on ourselves. <laughs> Anytime I say the word should... I'm in dangerous
0: territory. Yeah. yeah. my my All I can say is my poor sponsees <laughs> because that's like the first task they get from me is, okay, we're going to do a should inventory. Every time you say should or must or need to or have to, I want you to just put it on, make a little tally list. And at the end of the week, we'll talk about it.
1: Can you talk a little bit about your sponsees and and the, the people you work with in the program?
0: Yeah. So I haven't, I, ha- I don't have a lot here in Louisville. And when I was sponsoring people in Virginia, we, we kind of maintain contact, but I want people to have sponsors where they live. So if I moved, they, they, I want them to have close people that they can talk to. And, um, I'm, I'm working with a a woman now and I just attract people who are like me and I love working with my sponsees.
1: Yeah. That's a special relationship for sure. Anything else you want to tell folks in the audience before we begin to wrap up?
0: you know, this is just a one day at a time program and I have to live in the moment. Like we're going to finish this up. I'll, I'll have a little something to eat before the meeting tonight. And then, um, here in Louisville, uh, I go out with some people who have already had COVID like myself and (laughs) we go out after the meeting, we go out to eat and, um, and it's, it's, those uh, the relationships in recovery are the key for me to staying sober because i can think all i want about drinking and the consequences but my huge the biggest fear i have is losing the relationships i have in recovery and the relationships i've gained outside of the rooms because of recovery because i will not be the same person
1: well Eva, thank you so much for spending time with us uh, it's been wonderful chatting with you thank you Thanks so much to Evola for joining us today. And thanks to you for listening and for your support. If you want to join in the conversation online, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com groups slash daily reflection podcast. We're on Twitter at daily reflector. And if you want to read about recovery, we've got a blog. It's at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. Always appreciate your comments, your ratings, your reviews, subscribe Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.